I love this idea of Nas um, taking this position of like, let's make history together. And skateboarding in particular has just been like, you know, all the value has been cultivated out of it and not put back in. Where back in the day when I was a sponsored skateboarder, I would like send in my tape. I would like get reached out to by the brand. They'd send me some gear. I'd go and like do some stuff, get photo shoot, do a magazine, whatever. And then all the value would stay within that um, that that sort of cycle within the industry, and it, it really was a, a, a closed loop system in the sense that the value flowed back to the creators. But now it doesn't. Um, you know, everyone's just like posting to social media. The brands are advertising on social media. Everyone's data is being mined. It's um, it's completely extractive and, you know, it's all built around surveillance capitalism. And now we're, we, we are at this opportunity and moment in time where we can band together and just like take back the ownership forcibly. And I think that's like really skateboarding and punk rock thing to do. You know, it's like, it's, um, it's embedded in the culture and, and um, yeah, we're, we're all here for it. Welcome to UFO a podcast where artists, musicians, and Web3 builders talk about the future, a place for revolutionary ideas. I'm your host, Nick Collins. On today's show, Gami, the founder at NASDAO. He's a member of NAUT and likes to say, we live in a society that's spelled with a CCO, open license. With their team at Omega, they just dropped an NFT project called Forgeries, an open edition minting NFT copies of Noun 401. And one of those tokens would unlock ownership of the real Noun. Current floor price, 38th. A few days ago, the boombox head Noun was won by Toadie Hawk, co-founder of multiple Nounish projects, the Noun Square, Nounsel, and Ugly Nouns, and now the owner of Noun 401. Gami has a background in skateboarding, growing up in country Australia before becoming a sponsored skater and other adventures. In this episode, we talk origin stories in crypto and NFTs, his early interest and involvement in nouns, and the founding of NASDAO, a community-owned and run extreme sports club with over a thousand members. My PFP on social media at the moment is a Nas NFT. I dig a skateboarding nounish DAO. Nas already sponsors a few extreme athletes, and part of their idea is that pro riders shouldn't always be sponsored by extreme sports energy drinks. This is the project responsible for the grind box on the streets of Rio, Brazil, which was a bright red nouns noggles, the iconic symbol of the nouns, and cool images coming from that, people skateboarding and, and grinds and stuff. Now they're starting to team up with Skateboarding Hall of Famer Bob Bernquist for community skateboarding projects in Brazil. We talk about a whole lot in this episode. You'll catch that Gami and myself are both Australian. Let's take a moment to thank our sponsors helping to put UFO on the air. First up, our friends at Zerian. UFO is a podcast that brings together the brightest builders, creators, and founders, shaping the cultural side of Web3. And Zerian is the perfect wallet for these active citizens. Zerian combines every corner of Web3 in a simple and intuitive app for self-custodial humans. Discover the hottest NFT collections, track your DeFi rewards, and vote in DAOs across 10 plus chains. 
you can come along and check out their app on mobile. You can get started at zerion.io. That's Z-E-R-I-O-N.io. Lens Protocol is the open source tech stack for building decentralized social media applications. It's a new era for social media in Web3. Lens isn't a social media app. It's a protocol to let Web3 social apps thrive, a permissionless and transparent social graph that is owned by the user. With Lens, your followers go with you to whichever application you want to use. And instead of being trapped inside the walled garden of an algorithm, Lens lets you choose the way that you want to experience your social media. UFO is available on all Lens apps at ufoclub.lens. Yup is the best of Web3 all in one feed, aggregating the best content of Lens, Farcaster, Mira, NFTs, and Crypto Twitter. Search across platforms, customize your feed, and show off your NFTs and PO apps on your profile. Everyone in the UFO community is invited to register for the Yup mobile beta via their website. The best of Web3 in one feed, visit yup.io. To explore links for Gami, Nas, Nouns, and projects we talk about in this episode, check out the show notes at ufo.mira.xyz. You can find Gami on Twitter at 0xigami. Let's jump in, starting with origin stories from rural Australia and in his creative interests and skateboarding, up to verging into crypto, NFTs, and Web3. Yeah, for sure. I I think um, just for the sake of reminiscing, I, I could even start in in uh, school. So, um, yeah, I, I grew up in a tiny little mining town in like the middle of Australia, and there was nothing to do. And I was, you know, quite a exceptional student. So I'd, you know, gotten to do some extracurricular stuff over the years and just really you know got lost in books and film and all that sort of stuff until I got a bit older and as a community we rallied up the funds to build a skate park because there was a lot of stuff in this small town of two or three thousand people that was going on and I guess kids were bored and they were destructive and you know, there was a lot of problems with depression and self-harm and parents having drug issues and working crazy shift work and all that sort of stuff. Um, and a lot of my friends were sort of exposed to that. So I guess early on, I had always wanted to sort of foster community around certain things, mostly just for the sake of it making the people around me more happy. <laughs> um, and at that time, I was playing squash for like national side as a kid and so i had a fairly strong competitive nature and then uh yeah picked up skateboarding and moved to the city after after school um well finished um high school in like a much bigger town the the school i went to actually had a higher population than the town that i lived in growing up so I very quickly was exposed to, you know, a new culture, um, a, a different vibe around life and took everything that I'd learned from skateboarding with me and uh, continued playing squash and 
doing all that sort of stuff. And I guess after the senior part of high school, I sort of really got disinterested in school and uh, did terribly in year 11 and 12. And that was a shock because I'd been the ducks previously and all this sort of stuff and everyone was weirded out. But it was just it it didn't favour my creativity. And, you know, I had planned on going to university and then I just like last minute dropped out of that and went and did an apprenticeship, got my hands dirty, all that sort of stuff. And then went off into the computer systems and electrical engineering side of things. And um, through all that experience, like it, it always would lean towards creative endeavors more so than the actual job at hand. So I worked at this um, engineering firm and then ended up sort of heading the marketing and, you know, explaining really technical concepts to stakeholders at, at big presentations with government clients and defense clients and all this sort of stuff. And still just, yeah, always had that interest in counterculture, creative endeavors, uh, music, skateboarding, and just exercising creativity and being, you know, very curious. And um, yeah, I, I got a patent for an idea when I was young that um, it went nowhere because I didn't know anything about business. And then years later, a friend of mine starts working at a company that becomes a uh, a unicorn <laughs> with the exact same concept. Um, it's just that now there's iPhones, so it was much easier to do. And so throughout that period from like school right through to my mid-20s, I, I guess was developing like an entrepreneurial desire to experiment and be creative and and flex uh you know marketing muscles and and scratch that itch and yeah just i guess all of that sort of stuff led me down a certain path and then i i ended up getting married and divorced quite young and um it all happened in a in a flash and it was like you know a bit of a life altering turn of events and at that certain point, I guess I turned to drugs, much like I'd seen my friend's parents doing around, you know, a similar age um, when I was a kid. And, you know, um, sort of that's what introduced me to crypto. Um, right. <laughs> that's where it comes time- in. That's where, like, in, in the course of this narrative and events, and it's just like the dark web. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like I've met so many people who share this same story. Like I've been to conferences and spent time with like Ross Ulbricht's mother, Lynn, and and just like other people who were close to characters that sort of caught the wrong end of the counterculture and yeah, spent time with like John McAfee and people like that as well and was just really observant of the fact that, yeah, they're all – interesting creative people that maybe they sort of were attracted to the, the the dark side of things but the dark web and sort of getting access to drugs at that time it was just so plentiful and easy and i clicked with bitcoin straight away because i was building um distributed 
energy billing systems, which is like kind of similar to a blockchain. Um, and yeah, I was just technical and, and marketing. So it just seemed like a good thing to take an interest in. And over time, I guess I started contributing to some different projects and DAOs and stuff in the early days and just never really found that much of an interest in the financial side because it's not really anything that speaks to my background or experience. And um, it wasn't until Crypto Kitties, so I was looking back through some old emails where I'd sent like ETH out of Coinbase to to a MetaMask <laughs> uh, to to buy some Crypto Kitties. And it, that was really what sort of struck a chord with me was this idea of just being able to like exercise creativity and capture the moment that it happened. And so I started tinkering, yeah, with primarily on-chain generative art. And, yeah, um, cool. Like around that yeah. time, so like just after or around the CryptoKitties time, we had uh, Benny from from the CryptoKitties team on like a previous episode here jamming on those days and like how different the NFT space was at that time, like completely different. CryptoKitties kind of might have created the very first NFT Discord, they think possibly. And, you know, the founders of... Um, oh shoot what are those like axes like the axie infinity teams there i don't know zora oh, yeah. foundation like all all the founders were in the crypto kitties discord and kind of met there so we're kind of remarking on you know the crypto nft space being so different 2018 19 it's like a different it was a different group and culture and vibe somehow pre the crazy boom that happened yeah yeah it's it's interesting that um at at that point, like I was just interested from a technical standpoint because I was like quite captivated by people utilizing SVG on chain. Like this was a little bit after CryptoKitties, of course, but you know, there's some early stuff floating around, like the NFT archaeologists like to dig up. But um I was just super impressed by how they were able to essentially use um svg which could just be a text string and then like essentially make a smart contract act like it was a printer and um that was like in my background in communications with these like networks that we would do and create it was all this like serial communication so it's like really low level um protocols like uh modbus rs485 all this sort of stuff so there was just, yeah, just this tinkerer's like mindset that sort of really got me fascinated. And um, yeah, it's like I, I didn't even really connect much with anyone at that point until, funny you mentioned Zora, um, until Zora had first um, started sort of coming into the fray as uh, Saint Fame and then, you know, soon after um moving off erc20 to 721s and focusing on nfts and um like a year before the zorbs nft drop which was only like a year ago or whatever um but a year before that i was like putting zorbs into um transactions so like encoding them into the transaction data and then there's some transactions on ethereum where if you um if you append the 
transaction hash to this like site called Etherstatic. It'll render the data that's um, that's encoded into the transaction. And yeah, there's a few early Zorbs floating around. I just really liked the brand and that like Jacob was from Sydney and I live in Sydney now. Yeah. And uh, also where I'm from. Yeah, connected with. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like there's a lot of crypto people from Sydney. It's really cool. And and Melbourne um, and Brisbane, actually. So, yeah, it's like the East Coast is really outperforming its weight. <laughs> and, um, yeah, a big, a, a big part of, like, what really got me into NFTs is when I was um, I was just blogging on this website, art.house, and um, I got... Uh, I, I was reached out to by um, Mikhail Stungle, who's he used to work uh, for Zora. Um, so he was, yeah, yeah. you know, one of the guys from Boiler Room. And um, yeah, we had a call and he asked if I was interested in writing some stuff for Zora Zine. And then I didn't end up going ahead with it because I got distracted by nouns. <laughs> um, you know, months later, tinkering again, doing on chain generative stuff. And then my friend, well, he wasn't my friend at the time, but Emray, uh, the creator of Zero X Chain dot art, um, where they document and like rate um, on chain projects and how on chain they are. Um, I submitted something I was doing there. We had a call, and then he's like, "Oh, you should check out Nouns," <laughs> and and um, yeah, the rest is kind of history. I've been pretty obsessed ever since. Yeah, and for for people, you know potentially hearing about nouns for the very first time uh in this moment kind of what does the timeline look like um you know where is uh where is the origin uh, of nouns a little about like the the originators of it and kind of i guess the the concept behind it and then sort of how early you were to, to all of this stuff and being looped in with what was you know what was coming out yeah for sure um so nouns started um officially like the first auction i think was the 8th of august 2021 and so a few months before that punk 4156 had sold his ape punk with the blue bandana for like 10 million dollars after buying it for 1 million dollars about a few months earlier and yeah, he was tweeting about this concept of like what would crypto punks v2 look like and alluding to combining a few different um you know tools and protocols and that sort of stuff and um yeah his twitter thread turned into you know a bunch of collaborators like artists like eboy timpers and gremlin right through to coding wizards like solamander um last punk 9999 and um dom hoffman who founded vine and um yeah a few other big brains and I didn't come along and notice the project until like October um so a few months later I'd sort of dove in and was just lurking and not saying anything to anyone and um then on I think it was January 28 of 2022 I purchased um noun 189 um and did that with a friend blockbird who's um, a prominent art blocks and photography collector and creator and we, we'd funnily enough also linked up because he'd minted some nfts i put out 
a while back um, called This Punk Does Not Exist, which was an, a really early take on AI um, interacting with NFTs, but I was just like maybe 18 months early <laughs> for it to really strike a chord with anybody. So so what's in that project? I, I feel like I actually remember this. Can you kind of describe that project a, a little bit more? Yeah, I got like a really early um, ad hoc sort of AI model. You know, you could get these like open source versions of things similar to Art Breeder. And I was just sort of tinkering with that, not knowing what I was doing. And then I started feeding it CryptoPunks and it started to throw out these, you know, almost humanoid versions. And then I would render them as SVGs. And I tried to deploy it fully on chain and it was going to cost a fortune. So I did it another way. And now if you ever find them, you'll see that they look wrecked because I made some mistake with the formatting of the SVG. And then like, there's been an update to a standard um, with how they're rendered in browser. And now there's like slight displacement of the layers. So it just, they look terrible now, but I kind of like them even more for that reason. Um, and yeah, there's just like 404 of them. It's kind of like if you went to that website, this person does not exist, which has been around for years. It generates um, AI generated images of people that, that don't exist. And you just refresh the page and it creates another one. And they're super strange, right? It is really strange. And, you know, people have used them as like LinkedIn profile pictures and stuff. Like I've seen some really yeah. <laughs> weird stuff and you can just tell because they all. I'm pretty sure um, AI images have been, they've, they've been successfully hired on LinkedIn as well. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's been done a bunch of times. And that's making me think about the tests they've been running with um, uh, GPT of fooling humans assistants into helping them. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah I saw a, um <laughs> Like at a point where they have to pass the human test or something like that. And they're like, I'm sorry, you can't. You can't send me a verbal thing because something's something you need to confirm by this code or something. Oh wow! You know it. It really does make you start to just think. thought its way around that. Yeah. Like, oh man, like I've I've been reading you know books pertaining to this theme recently, and I'm currently reading um, Creative Act by Rick Rubin and Network State for the second time um, by Balaji, and it's like all these things melding together and. All I can think is like, you know, everyone um, will sort of tout something like Terminator and, you know, the, the singularity, but I'm, I'm much more concerned about like what, what's going to happen in the interim because it's, it's almost like hard to see the change that's right in front of you because like everyone's just, you know, excited about certain things or completely unaware of it. Like I've had friends send me a message and be like oh did you hear there's this like chat bot where it'll like tell you when like you can ask it a question you would normally ask google and it'll tell you and i'm like yeah yeah that same thing can basically do everyone's job <laughs> um it's almost like being a craftsman with your hands is is going to be much more valuable because funnily enough manufacturing with robotics and stuff which is you know originally part of my background is like it's not as advanced as as it's supposed to be. 
Yeah. Um, and then all these sort of like creative tasks and uh, digital first um, tasks are the ones that are just being dominated um, in the lab and now in, in the public sphere with, with products like GPT-4. Yeah. Like it seems it will be at least, if not potentially profoundly more impactful than the creation of like the smartphone and how much that's changed the world. Google search to begin with, like various of these things, social networking in general, I suppose, like it's probably going to be bigger than any of those things. And it's also going to be sort of riding along on the rails of those things as well. Yeah. I, I, I saw someone say recently, like if you go back through history, you know, there's like the agricultural revolution and the industrial revolution. And they're the two like major paradigm shifts in our, you know, human history in terms of um, how things scale and how it changes our way of life. And this same person described like the impact of AI as not a revolution, but as evolution in the sense that it will, it will actually force our evolution. Um, much like how so much time spent looking down at a handheld device is, um, you know, starting to impact the way our bodies look. And there's been some cases of people growing like a, a new spur um, of a bone out the back of their neck and like all these things. And it's like, I think that's actually a pretty interesting framing of it because yeah it's like fundamentally changes everything i think i put a tweet out the other day where it was like if ai goes far you know um we won't have any job to do other than vote providing things go well because like <laughs> if we don't have I've governance seen, i've over seen this, the movie her okay i think i know how this plays out yeah okay, we get it yeah you're like a, a ass pet and um you... With like perfect song curation, it just knows my vibe and <laughs> how I and just plays the right thing, which may or may not exist. You know, yeah. is this band real? There's going to be a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, I think like if anything, I hope that the people that are distributing the tech and like are on the you know consumer and business facing side really take care around how they um, verify the the source and like the the status of different things that are created like i riffed on um jack butcher's um nft versus jpeg image that he did a while back where it was like jpeg on the left nft on the right and then nft just had like the verified tick and then i think like yes we're gonna that. see the same with news so it'll be like fake news on the left and then real news on the right and the difference is the real news is cryptographically timestamped by the source and and you can understand that that that's verifiably human and and you know who it was um so there's <laughs> i don't know maybe that's the use case for nfts maybe maybe that's what um makes our nouns and crypto punks relevant in the future yeah i i think both like the logic of that is inescapable um and it's arguably unfortunate <laughs> that like <laughs> this amazing cryptographic type stuff you know verifiable open transparent like this would be a technology wave that's sort of coming in at this point um and coincidentally we're also going to be using it to prove if you're uh a robot or not uh in a very <laughs> philip k dick 
kind of way and it will come in as soft technology it'll be apps on your phone that are great to use tiktok is already that basically yeah you know i think we're already there yeah i think some of the science fiction that i read like robert a heinlein um has a book called time enough for love and it's about this um guy lazarus long he's like the oldest surviving human and he's like 2000 years old or something and you know he's traveled and searched the universe and all this sort of stuff and he gets basically pulled back by his family because they want to hear his stories but it's not really his family you know it's like ai um you know they've they're at a point of singularity and now they're just trying to get back to hum like humanity like they they're trying to learn how they can become more organic instead of being what it is that they are and there's this interesting quote where he like i can't remember the quote because it's really long but the gist of it is like you know a, a competent man should be able to uh, con a ship and kill a beast and fight a war and build a boat and all these sorts of things and then at the very end it says specialization is for insects and i think that's just like really poignant and timely where we are at the moment because um these things creep up on you you know like moore's law right and how things exponentially grew in speed over time uh, was profoundly impactful on the human race but this self-learning technology like exponential it it doesn't even compare to you know the 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 speed at which this stuff just expands and grows and advances and um yeah i i'm optimistic but at the same time i I think it's it's actually pretty um it's pretty scary yeah it definitely has that element of um what was that movie where it's it's like up in norway or something and there's this alien craft that's just come and hovering over a field and they communicate with them where they're these kind of octopus type creatures and they their language is like kind of throwing weird ink out in front to communicate. Have you seen this movie? Contact uh, maybe? Something else. Um, I can't remember what it's called now. Arrival? Or, Arrival. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. It's this feeling of encountering this unknowable other. Like we can't comprehend its mind. We don't know how it works, right? Yeah. Um, and because we're a human or a mammal or whatever, we're kind of like regarding this other thing in the forest. Like, what's that? You know, we're kind of eyeing Dude, each other off. That that whole concept of like dark forest, you know, like, the, for example, like mycelium communicating through the soil and like how trees and stuff communicate, all these things that are just mm-hmm. completely, you know, unknowable to us and even though we end up finding evidence of it, like most people are just completely unaware. That side of things is really like mind-blowing and scary to me in terms of AI. And and a prime example is recently I got this new Apple Watch and like it has Shazam and I show my friend like, oh, how handy is it when I'm out, hear the song and just Shazam it. And he's like, oh, man, that must be some AI shit. And I was like, no, it's actually been like this for a long time like all music gets stamped with an audio signature similar to like the isbn number on a library book and it's just inaudible to our ear but 
the device picks it up and it's it's catalogued. And he's like, oh, my God, that's crazy. They've been pulling the wool over our eyes. And I'm like, yeah, man, imagine like how AI will communicate and we won't even understand or be able to comprehend how it's communicating, let alone what it's saying. And yeah, <laughs> this is also making me think like, have you ever read like Herman Hess? Bits and pieces, but not not in depth. Yeah. yeah. So like Siddhartha is perhaps the most famous one. Um, and he has this book called The Glass Bead Game. I think it was like his, might've been like his final masterpiece or something. Um, and so have you heard of this book at all? Yeah, I've, I think I've heard of it like at a barbecue. <laughs> I, right. I understand the gist so, of it, yeah. Yeah, it's basically a, a story set in a kind of near future or thereabouts. Um, and it's in this, sort of, therefore, a, a slightly changed world with a different history and culture. And it's advanced to these like universities that somehow uh, encapture all fields of human inquiry and creativity and science and math and blah, 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 like everything together. And they somehow represent these different ideas. Like the, the concept to play this game, you'll need to spend a decade or more becoming so expert in two or three different fields and then you're combining those knowledges together in interesting ways and then kind of playing those off each other in a sort of contest of these glass beads. I, I say oh. all of this because it's making me think about that's kind of what this AI is like. It will just kind of quote unquote know so much more depth about all the different fields all at once. And as you say, like, what will AI communication start to look like? And it's kind of like, we don't know. Because <laughs> um, it's just going to be sort of playing these glass beads. We might not even know how to interact. It may be a way that we, over time, communicate with this force or being in these really extrapolated, oh. maybe through music or whatever it is. And that's how we can kind of... Because the AI is going to be saying, hey, so we're, we're going to beam like light beams of ourselves into the universe right so you know keep we're doing that just so you know and we'll be like oh okay <laughs> you know like <laughs> i could i could see things they may have very different goals it's like we can actually you know i have this like um sci-fi idea for profound ai arrives and connects into a sort of galactic internet or multi-dimensional cable like rick and morty you know oh man <laughs> you know it it's just in terms of reading Rick Rubin recently, this is, it's so relevant to like the way that I operate. So like, um, I've never believed that we have ideas. I believe we receive ideas and I don't really think creativity is, um, people will disagree with me on this, but I, I don't actually think that it's such a human trait um, for the very fact that I was saying early on that, like, you know, everyone's like, oh, the AI can't come after the creatives because, like, you know, that's that's very human. And the reality is, like, we're just antenna, antennae, and we receive a bunch of inputs and then neural pathways are connected within our brain. So it's electrical signals coming in as, you know, wavelengths of vibration or, you know, sound waves. It's all vibration. And then it resonates inside the body. It, there's electrical signals firing off in the brain. And then it's just like, okay, there's a new neural pathway that's attached and potential for a new idea 
and it, it's literally just like connecting dots. And we've learned through something like GPT-4 and even before we get to like the AGI and the generative stuff, um, that that's specifically how it works. <laughs> so like that's why it does amazing art in the click of a button because it can reference way more than a human can at once and a much greater breadth and it doesn't have the constraint of time that we do. You know, so it's like speaking to the Rick and Morty example, of course it's going to traverse time and dimensions and all these concepts that are just impossible for us because of physics. Um, physics are what enables it to do those things and the fact that we're in this information age where history is just a one or a zero and ones or zeros <laughs> through you know, huge multi-threaded computing networks uh, can be read at scale and it hasn't even begun yet. So I just, yeah. yeah <laughs> I think the, in the interesting thing I'm catching up on at the moment, like it, it feels like there's more uh, AI expert type people being interviewed on mainstream media at the moment because people are starting to say, what, I'm sorry, what is this chat bot? What, what's actually happening? <laughs> um, I saw one yesterday, I completely can't remember, you know, he's from a university, one of the foremost um, AI people. And this guy's asking him like, you know, well, what's this going to, are we essentially creating, I'm paraphrasing. He's like, are we creating a God being on the planet? He's like, maybe Oof. that is a concern. Yes. It's like, oh, cool. Um, but yeah, it, it, after watching a bit of that stuff um, yesterday and thinking on it uh, and also um <laughs> referencing the lord of the rings you know it's like is this like going to be a sauron type situation um it could be something like that or it's like it's creating the kind of uh eternal god consciousness that's um you know omnipotent not malevolent um kind of thing you know yeah it's <laughs> like a really um we know how to deal with sauron though i'll point that out <laughs> like, we will know how to destroy the sauron um it's it's easy dude it's uh yeah man I, I wasn't expecting to have this many thoughts after no, no uh sleep last night but damn you got me thinking a lot <laughs> the the thing that jumps out at me as you know as opposed to like um you know thinking about what the what the future impacts and all that sort of stuff are. I think just naturally, as we always do, we'll find our way to being drawn back to nostalgia. And so I think like for people that can create stuff, it there's potential that it'll draw a premium, um, you know, kind of like when you buy organic food. It's like, well, I don't want the the fake shit <laughs> with the, 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 you know, injected, um, hormones and probiotics and fed, you know, plastic and whatever. I want real chicken that's been outside and, you know, is completely natural. And I feel like if we as a species really care, there's always going to be some desire for that. But then there's often the trade off with like, what's the quality, you know? And it's like, if the fake cheap chicken was as good for you as the organic one and it was cheaper, 
it's hard to really determine whether you would go one way or the other. And so there's probably going to be this like underground global uprising, like a counterculture of people that are humanist, you know, like a you can sure, imagine something around autonomism or like something like that. Like these used to be like that real might left be wing. punk or solar punk. We'll have to, yeah. I, that you may be describing lunar punk or solar punk or one of those ones. Yeah. Um, it becomes very yeah. religious very quickly, you know. It's like, and now you can, now I can understand why back in the days when most religions were born, like that was a very mystical and magical experience for those people. And now with new evidence based uh, insight, uh, most of us today are, you know, agnostic or atheist and pro science over everything else. But I can imagine in our lifetime that we get to a similar point where we seek a, a deity that isn't the one that we created. <laughs> I think it it starts to get mystical. Yeah, because on that, like I heard of a project recently, for instance, that, you know, so in, in the past, we go to the church or the temple or, or what it is. And there's, you know, the holy people that are reading the book that's in Latin um they're the only ones who can read it and stuff like that and so you're interfacing with this god through this like intermediary uh and what it is but now with like chat gpt someone i believe created a, a project where you can essentially ask the bible questions it's like it's been trained on the bible so you can interface and talk so you can talk to books <laughs> now which i also find fascinating but how this wow. can now play off you can interface with like whatever a buddhist consciousness whatever it may be um it's still early on that but i've heard that there is that uh, project already set up where you can talk to the bible Mate, it sounds like a confession booth uh nft project waiting to happen <laughs> there's there's just so many with profound ai that knows everything about you just get into this booth drop a coin in the slot and go hang out with this profound artificial intelligence it's just yeah it it it's it's mind-bogglingly overwhelming <laughs> at the same time as being like incredibly inspiring all of this stuff and i think like you know regardless of which way it goes i think that i really hope that there are people who are outspoken enough to you know go and be that crazy nut that earns their first follower and creates a movement that, you know, gives people a, a choice where they have a different experience to the norm and the status quo. And I think I read this yeah. article that came up in front, uh, forefront this week. Um, I forget who it was by, but it was, um, it was a, uh, it was a commentary on how as this, I think it was called holographic, um, holographic, media i think it was called yeah we'll drop it in the show notes yeah for this episode. great idea because it's a fantastic read and shout out to the author sorry that i forgot your name but um it it speaks on this topic of how ai is being trained on language models and it can understand how all of us communicate currently but we have a unique and very nuanced um uh, universal language um, in memes and so it's this it's just this other dynamic around how we can convey an idea across languages and time zones and religions and gender and all this sort of stuff in such a way that um 
you know, is nuanced enough that perhaps it has a little bit of extra time before it's, um, you know, consumed by AI. And I think like that's an early indication of what I was saying before, how like this technology is actually going to force our evolution as opposed to, um, you know, like inciting revolution. And I, I think that perhaps, it, you know, we're going to evolve pretty quickly to having more universal language and and um, more interesting ways of communicating with one another. Like online, it's so incredibly hard, you know, like we're having a conversation over the internet. We can't see the glaze on each other's eyes. We can't see the dilation of our pupils, all this sort of stuff and the the very nuanced, um, you know, muscle movements in our faces and all that sort of stuff are just abstracted by the the resolution of a webcam even although we're not even using one that's even less high fidelity and i think that like we're becoming more and more distant through the the media media that we communicate via and then we're sort of seeking out how we can find ways of expressing that nuance again because you know at the end of the day nothing compares to sitting across from one someone in real life and having a heart to heart conversation um but it's just yeah the the world's changing so quickly that i hope that communities continue to exist and evolve that that um you know are a great forum for discussion around this kind of stuff and and you know on on the topic of nfts and dows and stuff like i i really I'm interested in paying more and more attention to people that are thinking about how we can get ahead of these things in a in a fair and um, transparent governance um, system that that doesn't make all of this a black box because we do need to be educated on this stuff if if it's if it's forcing your hand and changing your life like I, I just think it's it's going to be pretty crazy because a lot of people won't even have a surface level understanding of this but it'll fundamentally change how they live their life yeah there's just like people in their office they're suddenly superhuman (laughs) (laughs) whatever you need give me a hundred point plan the next three years boom done (laughs) eight minutes eight minutes of prompts oh Um, totally it sounds like an adam sandler movie you know yeah yeah like i don't know that I just don't know that we're ready to adapt so quickly. Like it's already been so hard to adapt to the internet, you know? It's true. Yeah. Everything's accelerating. Um, When we're talking about these sort of like, as you're saying, like getting back to things that are a little more real um, and it seems like a decent uh, spot to um, talk about NASDAQ and the kind of, you know, like getting back to the sort of organic life, like that's (laughs) skateboarding to a large extent. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, you know, one of those creative endeavors where people were empowered with the technology in the, you know, the shape of the current boards that everyone is familiar with was a creation of uh, Rodney Mullen, who's a very smart and talented skateboarder. And, you know, through his love of uh, design and physics and stuff and the people he worked with created a technology that could allow hundreds if not thousands of different tricks to be done and it's you know you think about an artist with their quiver of paint brushes and paints and canvas um skateboarding is is very much the same it's it's an 
a, a set of tools for an artist to express themselves through through their self-expression of their body and their movement and, and the world around them. And I, when I first got involved in uh, Nouns, I'd already had the idea for Nas. And it was this idea of like the artistry of extreme athletes um, because they put their body on the line to create their art. And I think it's courageous and brave and beautiful. And um, I, yeah, I proposed to, to Nouns shortly after joining so it's almost a year ago now, um, to get 69 ETH to start NARS. And what we did was effectively forked NARS and gave it a mission instead of it being a completely headless brand. It's a it's a semi-headless brand. So as a community of uh, mostly skateboarders, um, snow sports enthusiasts, um, surfers, kite surfers, all that sort of stuff, we uh we gather around this idea of of rejecting the notion that um extreme sports people shredders um should have to shill energy drinks to kids to, to be able to uh fund their 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 dreams and create the beautiful art that they do so we've been reimagining how we can uh fund such things and we've done all sorts of crazy experiments from um, from constructing a giant set of noggles in Rio de Janeiro and having a thousand people turn up to a massive event and shredding the nouns glasses, um, capturing amazing content right through to sponsoring a pro skater named Tom Raw, who's generated five and a half million views on very helpful tutorial content where he teaches everyone everything he knows and he's writing a, a nas uh x nouns board and telling people about us and what it is that we do and we've sort of expanded um very quickly in brazil and because of that uh you know hat off to the early community members who who made that happen um because of that we ended up onboarding bob burnquist who some people may recognize from playing Tony Hawk Pro Skater as a kid. Lesser, lesser known skateboarder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the, he's like the Tony Hawk of Brazil. <laughs> but um, per, per, perhaps, perhaps greatest of all time. You know, there's a group at the top and you can't really choose ultimately who's the best ever, but he's easily in that, in that league. He's certainly uh, someone that I consider to be in that league. And he, he was my favorite character to play as a kid. He had the white bucket hat and the white pants and sort of stood out from the other characters a bit with his glasses. Um, and, you know, he's just this guy that's pushed the boundaries his whole life doing incredible stunts and supporting the community in his home country of Brazil. And we've been very fortunate to work with his institution and... Um, We've refurbished skate parks in Brazil, in Rio. We've done um, educational events, and uh, yeah, he's he's just a it's an he's an amazing person and a, a great uh, inspiration to work with. So yeah, we've recently made some major upgrades and have like fully decentralized um, Nas as of within a couple of days' time from now. The final 
on track deployment that that we're we're waiting on will be done and will have gone from being you know like a uh a partial DAO to a full nouns DAO um and we've got about 1100 members we've deployed around 220,000 in grants and uh we're just vibing out <laughs> it's, it's honestly just a really fun place to be and the creativity that comes out of the community is it's second to none what's what's like some of the engagement look like as far as um you know like creating skate clips minting nfts or like how's that whole side of the ecosystem um you know evolving yeah so we did a proposal um a while back where we did an on-chain proposal um well partial on-chain because we were we were still using gnosis safe for our treasury but what we did was a DAO to DAO proposal from NAS to Nouns. And we'd experimented pretty early with like minting um, clips and stuff as like mementos and um, commemorative uh, items for, for people to collect. And um, just before Prop 190, which was the first ever Droposal, which is a proposal that drops an NFT, I coined the, the term, <laughs> um, proud moment. Um, just before that, we had a proposal where we'd embedded an NFT mint inside the proposal and that was submitted, you know, um, on chain and, and was a showcase of what we do. And following that, there's been this, you know, eruption of other work that, that's been submitted to Nouns to Hours, proposals, and um, so much of it caught on in such a big way uh, because of how it sort of closes this virtuous cycle or this feedback loop. And what's been really cool to see is without my involvement, a team already building within the Nouns ecosystem actually created a platform called That's Gnarly. So you can go to that'snar.ly and it's it's kind of similar to like an NBA top shot, but it's for anyone who shreds to submit clips. So we've got People like uh, Bob Burnquist have dropped a clip on there. We've got random skaters from all around the world, skydivers, paragliders, snow sports people, like just everything you can imagine, submitting clips there every day. And we do a daily drop, so open editions that people can collect. And what happens is when they purchase these open editions, they can select a cause that they support. So there's like NASDAO, um, the Skate Twitter Institute in, in uh, Brazil. There's a number of other, um, you know, community initiatives and, and things like that. And, yeah, essentially you come come on down, you mint an open edition of uh, the Daily Drop um, and 50% goes to the creator who posted the, the clip um, and then 50% goes to Nas Dow. Or if you select a different initiative, they get forty percent, and Nas still gets ten percent. So we um we've been sort of like using that as an onboarding tool because you don't even need a crypto wallet to use it. You can just sign up with your email and uh, use use a uh, hosted wallet, and then it uh, we trans we sort of uh, convert everyone over to their own um, non custodial wallet. And there's uh, also Nas NFTs that get given out to to shredders to onboard them into the DAO and 
educate them on voting and helping us determine how we spend the treasury. So yeah, it's 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 been a great experiment in um you know trying out new ways for for shredders to do their thing and and really, you know, find some reward for that. Yeah, since like very early, oh, whatever. Since early in like my own interest in NFTs and stuff like that, which like started to ramp up from 2020, but like I've always felt that skateboarding clips are the neatest fit or like just such a no-brainer with NFTs because it's such a video-based culture, clips, all that kind of stuff. And so now having something like that's gnarly purely for kids to put up clips and potentially like earn from doing that is, you know, super cool. And uh, I don't know, I can see, you know, like how like at a high level skateboarding kind of resonates and connects with the art world itself. Yeah, I think of like Mark Gonzalez um exhibitions and and stuff like that many skaters are like designers photographers filmmakers like you name it right like all the you know these people have whole other lives beyond skateboarding it's also a place that regularly you know groups of of skaters are getting together and creating their own company uh in in the skate industry right and so i feel like it's kind of nfts and also DAOs and things like this are such a neat uh fit with the way skateboarding world kind of, you know, uh, operates. Yeah, totally. And when you look back through history of skateboarding, like it's always been on the cusp of, uh, you know, bleeding edge developments in, in culture. Um, and yeah, like you said, you know, if you have a look at luxury brands these days, like my partner, she's, you know, been, at executive level in all these luxury brands for 20 years and she has talked to me about like you know brands like gucci wanting to do like skateboard um themed fashion show like in a a a grungy area in the city and all this sort of stuff and you notice like all luxury brands are now streetwear labels like they've completely just like followed skate culture to the t even so much so that they release skate shoes. <laughs> yeah, and like Virgil Abloh is a huge part of that. Totally. Uh, and others others in that scene, but like Virgil's the one, you know. Exactly. And he and his like, in my opinion, like his really like defining trait was his ability to connect dots in such an open minded and you know, he was a receiver of of ideas and 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 um connectedness and like he really had a great way of articulating that stuff and certainly draw a lot of inspiration from him and you know like something with with skaters in particular right they're already posting all these clips to like social media and then their social media is just getting mined and monetized and they get nothing like it's not like youtube where they're getting a share they're just they're just trying to build an audience and then like there's no monetization they have to build it up and then like say, hey guys, can you buy my merch? Like, do you want to like buy tickets to this event I'm putting on or whatever? And it's such a grind. And then you have people like uh, Jacob, who is uh, from Zora, Jacob Horn. So he's like obviously super, um, as, a, as a founder of Zora, like he's super um, into minting everything. And he said recently, um, he obviously draws a lot of inspiration from Virgil Abloh as well, like you'll see in his um, the style of like uh, content that he puts out and the, the formats and stuff. But he says like just mint first, distribute everywhere. 
you know, mint than distribute. And that's kind of like the ethos that we're trying to help people um, in the skateboarding and extreme sports community is to understand that like not only are you expressing yourself and creating a moment that's worth collecting um, and, and being a patron of, but you're also working every day and sitting on this like serendipity of potentially making history. So like blockchains are truth machines. It's this like, um, you know, this record of history that you can't tamper with. And when you're someone like a skateboarder and you go to like a spot like Dave Bashinsky, who's a member of NAS, he back in the day did a, a kickflip down El Toro 20 stair in uh, in California. And it's like at that time and even now, that's like the gnarliest thing. Like he launched himself down 20 stairs and nailed a kickflip and like most people were too scared to even ollie it, just straight up jump it, right? So that, if NFTs were around at that point, the provenance of him stamping that moment in history in my opinion, is just magic because he he didn't go to the spot and know specifically on that day that he was going to land it. Like he would have had in his mind, like I'd love to go to this spot and try this thing. But there's it's a game of chance in many ways, you know. Like there's so many, um, you know, um, factors at play in terms of the movement of the board through the air, your body, your your balance, your your position, your courage, all these things that factor into it, even just how much you express through your body can really affect how a trick works. And I love this idea of Nas um, taking this position of like, let's make history together. And skateboarding in particular has just been like, you know, all the value has been cultivated out of it and not put back in. Where back in the day when I was a sponsored skateboarder, I would like send in my tape. I would like get reached out to by the brand. They'd send me some gear. I'd go and like do some stuff, get photo shoot, do a magazine, whatever. And then all the value would stay within that um, that that sort of cycle within the industry. And it, it really was a, a, a closed loop system in the sense that the value flowed back to the creators, but now it doesn't. Um, you know, everyone's just like, posting to social media the brands are advertising on social media everyone's data is being mined it's um it's completely extractive and you know it's all built around surveillance capitalism and now we're, we we are at this opportunity and moment in time where we can band together and just like take back the ownership forcibly and i think that's like really skateboarding and punk rock thing to do you know it's like it's um it's embedded in the culture and and um yeah we're we're all here for it yeah so this is a great spot to um therefore look at like the gnarly feedback loop and these sorts of what it looks like the nounish uh model the kind of virtuous cycle um you've created a few uh very very useful like infographic little uh vibes of this we can drop into the show notes as well um but nouns is like Reddit, gatherings of subcultures curating r slash all together. We live in a CCO society or whatever. Uh, maybe 
you could sort of describe what this what this loop how this ecosystem works how does value created loop back to the people creating it and also go into a treasury which funds more cool stuff to happen and so on and so on yeah for sure um so since getting involved in nouns i i sort of was met with quite a lot of resistance early on because you know i was publicly saying hey i want to fork it i want to do this and give it a focus I, i want you guys to contribute funding it um all these things that were kind of like counterintuitive to people, but are inherently part of the reason for them being in the first place. Like if you make something open source and pick a particular license, it's because you want it to be forked. You want people to build on it and change it and um, have that opportunity for serendipity that creates something else. And with, you know, Git being similar to provenance on a blockchain, you have this, uh, you know, protocol of code versioning that allows everyone to reference back to the source. And then what happens with NFTs is you solve for that same thing that you do with uh, software licensing and using Git. You you can do that with IP licensing and, and solve for it with, you know, NFT on-chain provenance. And being CC0, it's all public domain, so you do whatever you like with it. And um, I guess over the the months as I was getting more and more understanding of where I felt I, I fit in relation to nouns. Um four one five six started um tweeting on a couple of topics. One was around um courage being like the scarcest resource in the Dow. And like if you know skateboarders, there's no lack of courage there. You just throw yourself down the stairs and pick yourself up until you land it. And that's kind of like been our approach. But there's also been talk about um, this <clears throat> nouns feedback loop or the nouns virtual cycle. And it's this idea that you like fund cool stuff, that cool stuff gets more attention, that attracts more auction bids, and then that results in more ETH in the treasury. But um, that the circle only allows for propagation. So when we're talking about proliferation, which is the word everyone uses, if you go down and look at in nature and see examples of proliferation, it's it's literally the splitting of cells. And when cells split, they go from existing in one culture to now existing in a subculture because that's the the medium in which the cell uh, exists. So there's there's all these like it's I'm not coming up with this stuff. I'm just receiving it. Like I was saying before, I'm just receptive. I, I absorb information and I try to connect dots and. Through doing that, I realized like, well, the way to proliferate is you actually split the cell in two and diverge into a subculture, um, do the grassroots work to continue proliferating the cells and then and propagating that subculture. And then you come back to the the, the mothership or the the mother culture and uh, and and share what you've learned, share what you've created and really showcase uh, what you've cultivated from the subculture that you belong to. And that's really the only way that we get beyond the nouns echo chamber slash crypto bubble sort of thing that we exist in now is, you know, doing things like NARS and nouns esports and tapping into, um, you know, different cultures that have similarly aligned values and then bring the two together. And so the most recent um, uh, graphic I put out was, yeah, I, I I always say that like we live in a CCO society because 
just like the you know the old we live in a society joker meme i think like there's this this real element of everything wanting to be free information wants to be free so just remove the copyrights <laughs> um and then let everyone uh, collectively create instead of uh you know just competing against one another in this sort of pvp uh game and instead sort of expand beyond that so um what i really think uh struck a chord with me most recently was when 4156 described nouns like reddit where he said you know nouns is like reddit there's like upvotes and downvotes and he was talking more about like the governance and proposal part where my belief is like all that reddit is is a collection of subcultures or gatherings around subcultures and so much so that the r slash all the front page is literally just the culmination of all those and the best stuff floats to the top and it it's an it's an algorithm where nouns is more human than that and the algorithm is the act of curation and as a nouner your most powerful position to take in contributing to the DAO is as a curator and now with the onset of AI like I think it's even more important to consider ourselves as curators and me personally I really want to continue cultivating ideas and creativity from the subculture that I belong to which is skateboarding and and by association extreme sports and so I think of NAS as like a multi-reddit which is an aggregate of subreddits where you know, if you go to r slash skateboarding, that's skateboarding, but you can append plus snowboarding, plus snow skiing, plus BMX, whatever, and it'll actually show you a feed of all those Reddits in one. And that's how I think about NARS. And we've already seen a, a Reddit within our multi-Reddit peel off as its own subculture, which is Alpstow, which is um, my friend Ben Body created. We met as he was like the first collector to show up in, in NARS. And he's been so supportive and and now we support each other with these two different DAOs where he's like doing amazing stuff uh, with Swami at this uh, resort in Rizutsu in Japan. And we're just at this point where it's starting to to work. It's just like we've got a, a big chasm to get across and we, we need to like, you know, go back a little bit more funding and get things there. But the end goal is you're going around in this circle, this, this like cycle of, um, you know, cultivating an idea, proving out a concept, seeing if it sticks, whatever. And then I think like when we create stuff that we're really proud of, we should be showcasing that on the front page. So as a, a DAO, we can then use nouns delegation. Like I've got two nouns that I can delegate to NARS. And we can actually submit a proposal from NASDAO to NASDAO and it would drop an NFT. And that NFT might be a film that we made with a creator who was cultivated from our subculture by our community. And we've actually got an example of that that'll go up pretty soon on Nouns where Lil Bubble, who's like an Aussie creator, well-known for doing like parody songs and heaps of original music in the crypto space, He's a skater um, as he grew up, and we know each other personally. He got really into Nas Dow. We did a three ETH small grant from from uh, from Nas from the Treasury. We voted, 
got him the three ETH and he created a three track EP. And so we're going to take that and um, drop that via a nouns proposal. And, you know, the, the community member who sort of like facilitated that gets to act like an agent and take 10% of the mint proceeds, um, 50% go to a little bubble and then 30% or depending on what we decide with the splits um, can go to, to Nounsdow. So there's incentive for them to approve the proposal and for it to drop on that front page, you know, it's like the showcase. And I think like in future, in the distant future, especially like that has to be the way that we operate because you can't expect a core group of people to have deep expertise in different niches and subcultures that they don't belong to. You know, it's like, you've got to realize that it's grassroots community building from the ground up. And that's how you avoid being corporate cringe. You want to be cult classic. <laughs> corporate cringe is top down. Cult classic is grassroots up. And that's what we're proving out in NAS is that, you know, like if we went in and said, hey, Mr. Skateboarder, wear this pair of glasses when you skate in the street league contest next week, he'd be like, F off, dude, that's, that's whack. I'm not interested. <laughs> but the way that we go about things, it, it, it's a slow process to, to help people understand the value in what we do. And, um, yeah, we look forward to showcasing that in new and interesting ways. I'm curious about how you said like Nas, you've forked nouns, right? To to create that. Um, I'm curious if that is, or in what ways that's different to nouns builder projects springing up now. I, I imagine, you know, the process looks a little different. It's literally a fork of the original, uh, whereas nouns builder are perhaps unique and like new in provenance. So are you aware of what the differences are there? Yeah. So <clears throat> the way that, um Nas first came about was yeah before Nouns Builder and around the same time as Lil Nouns. Like we had a a version that wasn't a DAO that was before Lil Nouns. That's why we had like a different token originally. But um that where we're at now is a direct fork of nouns. Um, you know, the code base is basically the same aside from a few things. So 10% of the NFTs don't go to me as a founder like they do with nouns. Instead, it goes to a a uh, onboarding address that um, the community votes to give shredders a free NFT to join the community. So all they have to do is, you know, they submit a clip and if uh, if they can prove that they're a shredder, <laughs> they they get a free NFT and and they become a, a NAS DAO member. Um, me personally for reward i instead opted for a, a bidder's tip so when someone bids there's a balance bar that's inspired by uh when you grind in tony hawk video games you'd have the the little slider that, that represents your balance um it's default set at 10 percent. so if people just leave it there i get 10 percent of the proceeds um to to be rewarded as the founder but quite often people set it 100% to the Dow Treasury and that's completely fine. Um, I'm not not here for the money. So the, the, the provenance is different in the sense that, well, yep, it's very clearly the same uh, code aside from the things that have been changed. And the, uh, you know, the, that's very much evident on chain when you, when you inspect the, the source code. 
But then when it comes to something like nouns.build or builderDAO, um, they have an interesting uh, type of provenance because they actually wanted to deploy the protocol itself because what nouns builder is, is it's a protocol on Ethereum. So it's like a factory contract where you give it some parameters and it spits out a nouns DAO basically. So it's uh, fully on-chain generation of the DAO. And originally they tried to um, to deploy it off a nouns proposal, but they were discouraged from doing so. And then what they did instead was got a nouns proposal to uh, seed their treasury with a thousand ETH. Uh, it was a contentious vote, but it got through. So there's this sort of on-chain connection to their treasury. And then that DAO is what uh, governs the protocol that uh, you know acts as a factory for creating new nouns DAOs. So they've got a lot of parameters that can be changed. And of course, over time, they can upgrade that and change things. But at the end of the day, it's, um, it's a, a bit less uh, adaptable than going and doing your own fork and really having you know a developer um, make you know as many changes as you would like um, I've used nouns builder myself I mentioned a blog I used to um, have I think earlier called art house and um, yeah I pivoted that into being a nounish DAO and it is um, just a place where we commission artists and then drop their work as an nft dropposal through the DAO and uh the artwork is a blank canvas and then over time layers from all the work we commission get added to the protocol and then those layers collage uh to make up the the artwork for the doubt membership tokens so very similar to nouns in the sense that you know it's 24-hour auctions although we've adjusted them to 12 hours i think through governance um and yeah functions in all the same way as a nouns DAO, but we decided to just leave the artwork out and figure that out as we go. So there's quite a lot that you can change and adapt to over time. And I think that's really interesting because maybe there's, you know, experimentations with time as well as, you know, velocity and, and how the art comes about and what is governed and all that sort of stuff that um, is yet to be experimented with. And I think we're just starting to see like, the very earliest stages of what could be done with nounish DAOs. Yeah, like nouns build, builder DAO. Um, we're seeing it like adopted by a lot of like artist and creative community collective type projects already, which has been interesting to see. Like we've had episodes on this show as well, but with like public assembly, black hand, um, I'm, you know, I'm a fan of like the park as well kind of music-based thing but this tooling is is quite quite interesting even if your project is on the scale of like six or seven friends or something and we're, we want to do something collaboratively and it's kind of it's quite neat tooling to just do something and when you talk about nouns being like a subculture drop down from nouns and these you know these other nouns built projects are kind of the same uh in that way or kind of replicating the model itself um chatting with uh, Yuri and D from Zora um, were talking about how like the model is the meme kind of thing. So it's really interesting to see it getting picked up by these like little independent collective projects, and then something like Nas that has dozens of sub 
culture projects below it going down and down like a mycelium network that you know you mentioned before yeah it's um i think like the especially the zora team do a really good job of articulating some of this stuff and that's probably why you know the new york scene that they're involved in has sort of been a great uh test bed for some of these uh DAOs that have spun up and you know sursu from black hands an awesome guy and like we've talked about collaborations with with nas and i've joined most of the DAOs and just learning from everybody and and seeing that there are interesting ways for people to use it and um yeah back to the way that zora articulate the things they build i think they've done a really good job in this like championing the fact that it's all about like collective creation and coordination and i personally just love that like the model as the meme um is really what got me into nouns like after finding it the most appealing thing was just like oh thank god it slows down like it's just one a day like i'm sick of like the frantic nature of this like nft craziness every day um it's such a distraction and then nouns just sort of like slows it down for us old folk <laughs> before we go like turning to your latest project uh forgeries which has kind of been out for for a little while but now the project is evolving so curious if you could i suppose at first explain like how the mechanic works um you know and what the idea of this experimental approach uh looks like yeah man back in july of last year i was uh really paying attention to mischief so mschf.com um i think the brooklyn based uh product drop studio like they do these crazy things like sell nike shoes with holy water in the air cell and call them jesus shoes and stuff but they've you know they they've struck a chord they always go viral and a particular project of theirs museum of forgeries really struck a chord with me where they purchased an original uh andy warhol sketch and then they perfectly replicated it 999 times and then they mixed the real one in with those so nobody knows which the real one is and then they sold them for, you know, like however many hundred dollars each and somebody has the real one, but uh, we'll never know who unless they figure out how to how to uh, verify that, it, that against the others. So I was thinking like, I wonder if I could do this with an NFT. So I'd been buying a heap of .WTF domains because they're like what most nouns projects get are .WTF. And... I saw forgeries was available, so I got it. I worked out that I could set the domain as my ENS. Um, so I set forgeries.wtf as my ENS. And then I just started bidding on nouns, um, mostly because the site gets so much attention. And I thought, I wonder if anyone will type in uh, the domain name and see where it goes. And so I set up a redirect and just some basic stats. And yeah, I, I was bidding and after a week of just like low ball bids, um, I'd amassed around a hundred followers on this Twitter account. And so I thought, okay, what if I replicate the idea of museum of forgeries with a noun? And so, you know, a couple of weeks go by, I win the auction, 
I go on the nine o'clock uh, Twitter space with a voice changer and I was, you know, I was like, hey, it's forgeries, <laughs> um, you know, and just having fun with it. And at first I was just going to do like, try to replicate the experience through token gating and really draw it out. I put out a tweet thread about the concept and 24 hours later, Ian Nash from Zora uh, was in my DMs and he was like, hey man, I really would like to create these contracts. Like I think it's something that, you know, could potentially be used, um, you know, in Zora tooling for, um, you know, different ways to use open editions. Um, you know, you could do it with Chainlink, VRF, blah, blah, blah. And then literally within a couple of weeks, he had like the first version done. And I teamed up with my friend Emray and a designer from here in Sydney called Jordan. And we, uh, yeah, we created forgeries, which the tagline is all are fake except one. And the idea is that we drop an open edition, um, which is a counterfeit of a high value NFT. And in this case, now on 401. And we sell those open editions, which later will be used in voting on what we acquire next, um, voting on prop house rounds to create expansion packs and all those sorts of things. But the way the game will work is uh, everyone who has a forgery, they'll go through this Japanese game show style experience. It's really beautiful and like super engaging and fun. And they'll authenticate their forgeries to learn if they indeed have the real one. And the idea is it's only this machine that can, uh, can work that out for them. So we've uh, got the drop happening really soon. We did originally have a different mechanism for this. So the, the original minters are getting airdropped um, a bit more than what their original share was. Um, but yeah, that's coming up really soon. And everything will be happening at forgeries.wtf and it's all powered by omega which is at omega.build um that's the name that i've given to the protocol that uh ian so kindly created and it's called that because uh in sometimes in english um omega can be used to sort of represent the last of a set or the last man standing and that's what these uh games are all about so we've built this as a public good it's a hyperstructure you can use it like a factory just like we said with nouns build and you come in set some parameters it'll spit out your your own contract and you can reference any erc 721 collection as the drawing tokens and then you can uh pop in you know your uh your your details and and draw the the prize and it verifiably uh, does this in a random, uh, fair, trustless, and transparent way. And then one of those holders of whatever collection you're referencing will be able to withdraw the prize NFT. And uh, yeah, it's it's been really fun to work on this. It's just it's a it's a bit of a a crazy idea that's turned into something more. And um, I think there's going to be so many uses for it in the future around uh, just the, the simple fact that Ian was clever enough to make use of a Merkle root layer, which is fancy word for having a list. Um, and this means that you could build any kind of uh, experience 
from you know a basic drawing of a trade promotion prize right through to an on-chain squid game <laughs> and i'm excited about seeing what artists would do with it where they might create a one of one um, and then sell editions and then one of the people that mint their edition would also get uh, the one of one and i've also <laughs> i shouldn't say too much because emray will kill me if i say this publicly but um he's been working on a really cool uh expansion for omega that would uh use the forgeries concept we we talk about forgeries as like the cartridge and omega is the console and so he's got this like expansion pack that he's working on that would actually um bring more demand to nouns auctions and um and still have this element of um you know changing a person's life who participates in a game and yeah i'm nervous about the launch but i'm looking forward to it yeah i'm curious about there's, there's a piece here with like very interesting there'll be this open protocol whole range of different projects can potentially pick up this tool and and play with it but it's this kind of like gamified version of things kind of like a raffle type situation or we could say the meat tray at the <laughs> rsl in in australian terms um you know and uh if i'm i'm guessing instinctively that that hasn't particularly existed before like this is a new uh a new uh, you know potential way of of doing things in the nft space which kind of you know okay what i'm yeah hold on scratch all that i guess what i'm trying to ask about here is uh or i'll ask you if i can ask it is it all right to bring up the kind of like isn't this like a casino on the internet though not asking as harshly as that but i think it's an interesting question to wonder about you know yeah there's so there are like obviously concerns from you know what this thing gets labeled as so when you think about um there's sort of three three main analogies that this could be compared to one um some people could use the word lottery they could use the word raffle or they could use um words trade promotion and the idea is that um we're selling these nfts that are in their own right an asset and the the prize is the promotional uh lure and the fact is that behaves very much like a trade promotion so you you see these quite often in um more heavy industry stuff so like trade promotions are really common in farming equipment like it's just that seems to be their way to market uh, farming equipment but in terms of why there's tight regulation around a lot of these things is because they're um they're wrought with uh, fraudsters so uh raffles and lotteries all around the world there's billions of dollars in fraud that happens and it's primarily because of three main pillars that are important to uh these types of mechanisms and why they're they're tightly regulated and the the three pillars are all around trust so it's like is the operator trustworthy is the random number generator trustworthy and maintained and are the prizes distributed in a fair and transparent and accountable manner and quite often one two or all three of those are exploited by bad actors you know 
you see in in Australia, there's a lot of uh, sort of things that happen like this within crypto. Like you might have heard of Coin with a Q back in the day. That there's essentially a certain subset of people in Australia that that run shady, opaque, um, you know, scams uh, where they've used crypto before, and so this protocol being uh, you know, permissionless and out on chain, that's one thing, but it also solves for those three issues. So you have, um, in terms of the operator being trustworthy, like it's completely trustless. So you don't have to believe in anyone or trust that they're doing the right thing because, you know, the protocol, uh, escrows the token. Then when it comes to the random number generator, it's the contract uses link tokens to pay chain link for um for verifiable randomness which is all on chain and you know provably fair and then the last one is around the the prize distribution so this is done you know completely within the same transaction as everything else um so there's no uh, way for anyone to game that system or peel the prize off for themselves or anything like that um and I, I think, like, from that perspective, it's really interesting um, because there are so many facets to how to run something like this as well. Like, um, having it as a hyperstructure is really interesting because it means that people can can experiment with it and and build other experiences on top and have many more skill steps. But when it comes to any of these kinds of uh, these kinds of games, the way that in most jurisdictions, um, you know, the operators get around regulation because, like, you know, most people are not using fair and trustless uh, verifiable technology. They're just, like, pulling a number out of a barrel. <laughs> um, and the way they get around these regulations is they introduce a skill step. So you'll see in Australia there'll be sweepstakes that happen in these, like, That's Life magazine and all this sort of stuff. And the way they introduce a skill step is they require in 25 words for you to describe why you're a worthy winner of the prize, but it's still just drawn out of a hat. So, <laughs> so they give away a car, but as long as you provide 25 words um, as to why you should win, then you know it's completely uh, you know devoid of regulation. So, yeah, really interesting space. Lots of um, problems to solve. Lots of careful conversations to have. But um, I'm I I think that it's really cool to experiment with stuff that um, you know, is is on on the line of uh, you know, um, where people who are conventionally not um, you know, good actors tend to play. Um, there's usually really interesting problems to solve uh, in in those areas, and fortunately, blockchain is really good for solving those problems verifiable transparent lotteries is a wild concept yeah man imagine if like omega you know these little games work out and like we do a bunch of other cool experiments with it and you know th there are existing projects out there like there's a company called meta win you probably see them on twitter ads all the time they do t a giveaway every 10 minutes that operates just like this but it's completely uh, you know, up to them. Like they're using blockchain, but it's it's a centralized company in Gibraltar. And then there's like um, Babylon Art, which 
do a similar thing to the the one of one with additions art that I was describing, and they've got you know ten thousand users, but uh, MetaWin have seventy five thousand active users. So there's like people love this stuff. Like in Australia, like look at our culture and all the ads you get fed on TV. None of that's fair. You know, like you don't know what's going on inside the black box. And I would just love if like at some point we did captivate the attention of these other audiences and then imagine if we like made a a huge innovative leap in how lotteries are run. Like now you still just watch them do a ball thing on the, a ball pit on TV and the air compressor flicks the balls around. You can't see the numbers. You don't know what it is. You just trust. There, there you go. The lottery balls on on TV is like the one pure true thing in society. We all agree. We're all watching at the same time. Um, <laughs> shout out to David Stern and the frozen envelope, Patrick Ewing. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, dude, it's been super fun um, having you on the show and talking about all this uh, kind of stuff. Um, so much for people to catch up on and and discover. Uh, in the nouns world and also what you're doing with Nas. Super cool. I look forward to being in the loop on that myself. Um, but yeah, thanks again for coming on, man. If people listening are you know, curious, interested about what you're up to and stuff like where, where are they best to go online? Yeah, for sure. So it's, it's Gami like origami. So G-A-M-I uh, on Twitter. So the easiest way to find me is just to go to my personal website. So it's gami.wtf. Thank you to Gami for coming on UFO. You can find him on Twitter at 0xigami. Links to his socials and projects are in the show notes at ufo.mira.xyz. Thanks to our sponsors who made this episode possible. To get started with Zerian and create your new crypto wallet, head to zerian.io. For the best of Web3 in one feed, visit yup.io. To join the Lens ecosystem and explore the future of Web3 Social, head to lens.xyz. Subscribers can collect our NFTs at ufoclub.lens. This is Nick Hollins signing off from UFO.